Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. But I wonder about that. That was the, the thing that interested me most. So Tracy and I talked about that during the Seder. And the Seder, of course, for people that don't know this, that is the Last Supper. I mean, in, in the other religions, that is. That's actually the Last You've never supper. been to a Seder until you've been to a Tony Kornheiser Seder, where he likes to... We're going to move it along. Okay, I'm on we page 18. <laughs> I'm in the second graph. I'm going to pass this over to Tracy. We go we're going to start with you, then Carol, you're up next. Yeah, yeah. Ch- no, Chessie, you're in the way. We go quick, and, and we, we go quick because I sort of know what, how it ends. <laughs> no, I want to get to it. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on... Now, all right. So I'm glad that uh, Nigel put together that open um, because it allows me to read from the Reverend Mark Schaefer, who has been a longtime little and is involved with um, was with the trivia group at Chatter and all of that. And he writes to this particular issue. Okay, the the issue that I talked about, perhaps the differences in gods between the Old Testament and the New Testament that Tracy and I talked about. And he writes, "My dear Mr. Tony." First things first, happy Passover. Second, no need to brace for a scolding. You're not wrong in what you say. It's just not as complete a picture as it could be. Sorry, this might be a little longer than an air-readable email usually is. And I add parenthetically, it's okay. We control the air. (laughs) The idea that the Old Testament Hebrew Bible God is the vengeful God and the New Testament God is the merciful God seems evident after a cursory glance. But the reality is that it's not so clear-cut. And that oversimplification has been used by Christian anti-Semites to speak ill of Judaism and to argue that Christianity is superior. Now, that's opening up a door that I never, even, I never even thought of that. The reality is, is that there's plenty of love from God in the Hebrew scriptures. God's main quality is identified as hesed, which is translated variously as loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, or covenant love. In fact, during the Exodus, God does inflict punishment on the Egyptians, but selects Israel for deliverance for no particular reason other than honoring a promise made to Abraham, also for no particular reason. That is the epitome of grace, of unmerited favor given out of love. There's also an old rabbinic midrash that says, when the Red Sea closed on the Egyptians, the angels wanted to celebrate, but God rebuked them by saying, how can you celebrate when my children, the Egyptians, are dying? It's for the same reason that the drops of wine are removed from the cups in honor of the suffering of the Egyptians from the plagues. At the heart of Judaism is a God of mercy and love, no question. And lest Christians get all superior that our religion is all peace and rainbows, I would remind us that Jesus engaged in destructive actions by overturning the money changers' tables, an act that the authorities interpreted as a threat to the temple itself. I am with those scholars who believe it was this act that got him crucified by the Romans. And anyone who says there's no vengeful God in Christianity has not read all the way to the end of the book. The book of Revelation describes God throwing the wicked into the lake of fire where they are consumed and destroyed. So there are folks who will characterize Judaism as a religion of law and Christianity of grace, one of vengeance and the other of mercy. But they really are two branches of the same, each possessing law and grace each possessing not law and order and not will and grace, but law and grace, (laughs) each possessing vengeance, and I added that, and mercy. Best wishes for a blessed and joyous remainder to your Passover holiday, Mark. That's wonderful. Um, I know no one expects me to open the show quite like that, but that that is, I think, very healing, don't you, Michael? I do. You know, I'm very pleased with that. Now, back to your Seder. How did Tracy handle the horseradish? Tracy, um, it wasn't a brand new thing of horseradish. Mm, so it, it didn't was, have the power. It didn't have the power. It wasn't that full strength. Sometimes when you open up the brand new horseradish, often when it's Tolkien's, I think it's called, or Tolkoff's or something like that, or Gold's from Baltimore, 
you you inhale it just when you open up the jar itself and you are blown back into a wall <laughs> and you need so that right strong. now with your allergies yeah i'm open well, up I'm, the sinuses i'm getting yeah i'm getting pollen stuff i'm coughing a lot so so we open with that we also open with weather weather in washington dc turned very much colder overnight and i even put it i didn't need it but i put on my lilyhammer jacket just to ward off Michael, you were talking about like people getting pneumonia and pleurisy. Yeah, you also had your fisherman's cap on. I did. I did. Working the docks this morning. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's <laughs> cold catch. here. And what I wanted to talk about was what people are familiar with with Washington in this time of year are the cherry blossoms um, around the Tidal Basin by the Jefferson Memorial and things like that. And I watched Amelia last night, Amelia Draper last night, who said if it gets down to 27 degrees, the cherry blossoms will turn brown. That will be the end of the cherry blossoms. When I checked my weather today, we were at 29 degrees. I don't know if it got to 27. Yeah, but they still, they're close down to that there. heat dome downtown. Right, so I don't, I don't know. Other than that, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about your flowers. Uh, yep, you, you shouldn't have any plants some delicate flowers. You right. don't really have anything in the ground yet, but your tree is still right. in full bloom out in the backyard. Well, the wind, though, was knocking down an awful lot We've of blossoms. We've had two or three big nights of wind, so I'm surprised to see it's still so full. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm, I think it'll be gone within a day or two, and the forsythias as well. I wanted to also talk about something we did yesterday on PTI that nobody saw because we were on ESPN2 because of the opening day in baseball season, where, by the way, the Nats didn't open because the Nats are apparently contagious with the coronavirus, which we will get to Speaking later. of cold, did you see Cabrera's home run through the snow? Through the snow. I've been in opening days like that in That's Baltimore. Fine. I've been in opening this days like that. This wasn't a flurry, though. These were no. big snakes. Uh, flakes. These yes. were as big as the ball itself. Yes, I've been in that in Baltimore. I know what that's like. He didn't know he hit it out, so he, he slid into second. But they gave him a home run. Well, it was out. So he just, he just that made very, very good video, and they allowed Wilbon to scream and yell, about how stupid baseball is for opening in Detroit and Chicago and, you know, in Cincinnati and Milwaukee and wherever they open in the North and Boston and New York, which is understandable, but you got to open somewhere and you can't, you can't put every cold weather team on the road for two weeks. You just can't do it. But, you know, it's easy for Wilbon to do that and scream at that. And it's legitimate. He's from Chicago and he's been through these really cold days. He'd also love to stay in Arizona a little longer. Yeah, and also because he's able to say that this doesn't happen in the NBA. And no, it doesn't, because those are indoor arenas. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. So we did this thing yesterday. We do this often. I don't know that we do it every year, but we do it often. And that is we open with a story that's not necessarily a real story, but we try to sell it as if it is a real story. And the story yesterday, and I don't know who came up with this. I'm going to give the credit to Eric and Matt, but it might have been somebody else. No one, I didn't come up with it, and Mike didn't come up with it. The story was brilliant. It was such an easy sell. The story was the lead-in that I wrote pretty much went like this. But we opened with a blockbuster story, a blockbuster report. Now, I wanted to say from ESPN, but Eric said, don't pin it on ESPN because they might get angry that we're attaching a false story to them. And I said, okay, that makes sense. We begin with a blockbuster report that new coach at Jacksonville, Urban Meyer, will not use the number one pick on Trevor Lawrence, but instead... <laughs> We'll use it on Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. And the next line was, Myers told, Meyer told coaches that he was blown away by the pro day that he watched with Justin Fields and by the recommendation, the strong recommendation, of his former top assistant, Ryan Day, who's now the head coach at Ohio State. 
And I, and I just said, and not only that, and this was the, this was the thing that I think made the story even better. Plus Meyer will sign Alex Smith, who he coached in college and have him mentor Justin Fields and work as a backup quarterback. And it was Wilbon. What do you make of him not taking Trevor Lawrence? Well, the reason this is so easy to do, there's a bunch of things in play. One is that Meyer never pledged himself, has not yet pledged himself to Trevor Lawrence, even though Trevor Lawrence is said to be a once-in-a-generational quarterback. And two is that Trevor Lawrence, rather mysteriously last week, said he wasn't going to the draft. He was going to watch from home, which leads somebody to be able to say, well, maybe he heard about this and he didn't want to be embarrassed. And the, th the, third, the third thing in play here is that Fields beat Lawrence in the playoffs this year. So I not only thought this was a good story, I thought it was a real story. It's easy for me to sell because it makes so much sense to me. And what I was able to say, because I don't like Urban Meyer, is it's a college move. Your loyalties to Ohio State, your loyalties to Ryan Day, it's not a pro move. you got to take Trevor Lawrence. He's better. And so you're able to do all of these things and talk about how Justin Fields, I even said this, he ran a 4.44 in the 40 at Pro Day, and they don't have an offensive line, and he may have to run. So you want to get a fast quarterback. And Wilbon said, that's crazy. Trevor Lawrence is big and strong. We were able to go back and forth for a couple of minutes on this as if it were real, because I think both of us believe it could be right. real. And it's April 2nd. You're still convincing yourself that this could be I real. I think it could And happen. actually, this is a better story. Yeah, I think Are it you could... aware that you do this every year on PTI, but every, no, you always do the April Well, we story. fooled people. We fooled Alan. The socialite sent me a note saying, you completely fooled me. But I believe it. you fool it. yourself every year. Every year, you, you reiterate this story about how you're willing to go down the rabbit hole. And then you always you include the turns and you go, but here's where it gets better. And here's where, if you actually listen to it, it makes sense. It really, Every year. it makes sense. So I don't know that anybody saw it except Alan because we were on ESPN too. But I, I really thought it was a terrific, terrific sell. And at the end you say, should I tell him or should you? And then we both go April <laughs> Fool. But then I said, but I really believe the story. So this is where I was on April Fool's. I was not watching ESPN two. Somehow I ended up watching the second half of the Braves Phillies games. That's where I am with have you know with with Nat Nats getting more and more positive cases and having opening day canceled. I was watching regional Braves baseball. It was a good game, right? The Phillies really won the game, game late. Yeah. Phillies won in extras. Yeah, yeah. And but the Braves got to Aaron Nola and knocked him out. The Panda. Yeah, who weighs 400 pounds. Yeah. He's now on his 53rd team. Is he playing third base? Uh, he was, he came in off the bench. Aaron Nola oh, okay. was, was dealing. It was 2-0. Okay. And he gave up a double to Christian Pache in the seventh inning. And then Panda the Red came Sox in, no doubt, to the... Yeah. yeah, he killed it. He killed it. So, I, I mean, I mentioned the other day that I wanted to just talk about... I want to thank some people um, for helping us with golf when we were in South Carolina. Uh, Jim Hughes and John Engelbrecht, who are littles, and, and who took us out to Chessy. Right? Yes, hostess at Chichester. Right. Alex Podlegar at uh, Pinehurst to arrange for me to play with him on number one and number three, and one day to play with Alan, who's one of the course superintendents at number one, which are easy courses to walk. They're not that long, but they are Donald Ross courses, and they are thought by the people at Pinehurst as, you know, the sort of hidden gems. Because everybody wants to play two and four and eight and seven. Everybody wants to play those courses. Nobody wants to play one and three You don't want to get beat up every day. Yeah, and it was just it's just delightful, actually, so I'm appreciative of that. Is there anybody else I have to thank for, I mean, Chan and Moni, obviously, obviously, you know, who were so hospitable with everything. But does that cover everything? Because I talked about Bill Donnelly the other day. You know, it does. I, I would personally add a thank you to Nick Smolari from Oldfield, who always hosts me in a, in a yes. Renegades game that, yeah. that, he, that he holds down there at Oldfield. And it's just a doubling down on, and everyone knows that we spend a lot of time down in the low country and 
Jim, John, all these people at, at, at Chichesi, at Oldfield, they've really uh, opened their Very communities nice. to us, particularly in the last year, which is just meant the world We had a couple of dinners outdoors, felt safe at the dinners and, outdoors. And for me, now that you're fully vaccinated, yeah. to, to try and see how you can safely reintroduce yourself into these social situations, because it's really hard to put yourself, you know, for us, it was having dinner on a on a deck outside, socially distanced, physically distanced. It was still hard to do that. Yeah, but we got through it. I wanted to just tell this one quick little story. So Alex and I are playing number one. This is last Friday, so it's a week ago today. We're playing number one, and we go to the tee box, and a guy is there. He's, he works for Pinehurst, and he comes over to me, and he sees um, that I have... I'm wearing a, a, it's cold, so I'm wearing a, a jacket, and the jacket says on it, Binghamton Alumni Association, right on the chest, Binghamton Alumni Association, and then on the right-hand side, on the sleeve, it says Binghamton Alum, that's what it says, and he looks at me, he says, Binghamton, where's Binghamton? Now, you got to understand this, he looks at me, he's almost my age, he looks at me, and he says, Binghamton, where's Binghamton? And I said, well, if you're not familiar with New York State, it's on Route 81. It's the southernmost city in Binghamton. It's yeah, about how much time do you have? 55 miles north of Scranton. It's on 81. It's, it's, you know. And I tell him where Binghamton is. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I designed the Jewish Community Center in Binghamton. I looked at him. I said, what? He said, yeah, I was up there for a couple of years. I designed the Jewish Community Center. And I said, then why did you ask me where it was? What? 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 And then I just teed off. And I just thought that was insane. Yeah, we're, we're teeing off here, sir. That was just insane. <laughs> right? Insane. Is this when you had your push cart? Yes, I did. I pushed the cart. Yeah, it was fun. Have, you, re little have you recovered from it No, yet? my right leg is in, is, you know, I, I can tell That's you. your driving leg. I know, but I might have bad right leg and bad right side of my neck and from all of this driving which isn't it was only it was five hours one day and seven the next right it wasn't it wasn't that terrible all right we'll take a break uh when we come back sally jenkins will talk to us about um what has happened to women vis-a-vis -vis men in the ncaa she wrote a great column about this last week and i've i've waited a week but it's okay because the ncaa tournaments are still on and we can talk about that sally jenkins when we return i'm tony kornheiser you're listening to the tony kornheiser show so this is the X chair commercial. Now, I've, I've made a decision. I sat in the X chair a couple of days ago. I was up, up by the computer. I was actually voting for the SAG after movie and TV awards. And I sat in the X chair at the computer. And I decided we're moving the X chair. And by we, Michael, is moving the X chair up into the attic. And I said to Tracy, I want to use this chair. And she said, okay, could you just wait till Monday? And I said, why? She said, well, we've decorated. It's going to be a different height. It's going to be a different position. We'll rearrange it. I said, sure, fine. So on Monday, we're going to move the X chair Circle up there. Circle the date. And, and I get to, in the attic, I get to sit in it. I'm in the chair for, I don't know, about an hour, about a little bit over an hour. So doing the show. So we're going to move it up there. I'm very excited. And Jody called me. And Jody, Jody was upset that he didn't get the casters. Like when he bought his, he didn't get the casters. And now you can get the casters. And, and, and I'm thinking, this is how I feel about ButcherBox. You got to get the steaks. I went and bought ButcherBox on my own, and I didn't get the bacon. And I didn't get the steaks. And I'm angry about this. I don't know that Jody's angry because he loves his chair. But, you know, out of the goodness of the hearts of the people at X-Chair, maybe. 
they could send them stuff. The secret is not only their patented dynamic variable lumbar, you've still printed it out as lumber, Nigel, lumbar DVL support, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to my lower back. But now thanks to their new XHMT technology, that's heat and massage technology, I think. I can also get heat and massage therapy, therapy, while I'm sitting at my desk. But I don't know how to do that. Michael's going to have to teach me that. Instead of my old, uncomfortable office chair, now I look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. And obviously I do, because I'm moving it upstairs. The XHMT delivers heat and massage technology right to the core, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy, all perks that make working from the home or office a joy. You won't believe the X-chair difference until you feel the X-chair difference for yourself. It is the luxury supercar of office chairs. X-chair is on sale now for $100 off. Go to xchairtony.com now. That's the letter xchairtony.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairtony.com now and use the code XWheels for free X-Wheel blade casters. Jody, xchairtony.com. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a song called I Say Nothing. It is sent to us from Hal in Seattle, whose band... The Almost Faithful has been fortunate enough to be featured several times on the podcast. This is one song I say nothing, and Staring is the next song that will play in news. This plays in Sally Jenkins. And these are off uh, a three-song EP called Into a Promised Land that, along with all of the music of The Almost Faithful, is available for folks in the usual places. Sally Jenkins joins us. Sally wrote this great column about a week ago about the disparity in the way men and women are treated not just in general, but in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I think if anybody saw the pictures of the weight room, like the, it's like ridiculous. It's, it's totally ridiculous. You were appalled at, at the weight room thing, obviously, and, and appalled at the differences in the way men and women who are college athletes playing the same sport, revenue producing, are treated, Right. Right, but you know the weight room was petty. It, the, the weight room is just like one little indication. It, it's it's not the the whole enchilada here. I mean, the problem is that this is like massively huge disparity in treatment that's gone on for years and years and years, despite climbing ratings, despite despite climbing revenues, despite you know Gino Oriema winning eleven championships. Uh, Pat Summit winning eight championships. I mean, the game's grown and grown and grown, and the NCAA's attitude towards it is as petty and and sexist as it was, you know, 25, 35 years ago. So that's the frustration on the part of all the coaches that I know and that I've been talking to. So this is across all sports, though, isn't it? It's not just yeah, basketball. Yeah, I, I think if you asked uh, people in women's softball, which, uh, frankly, gets uh, the same ratings and the same level of support from fans and ticket buyers uh, in women's softball. at the, the Women's College World Series is a very hot property on ESPN. Uh, and, the, you know, they, they try to say, well, the Men's College World Series is a bigger event. But it's really not. I mean, if you look at Oklahoma City and, and Omaha, the two tournaments, and you look at the tournament ratings, they're very, very comparable. Did, do I understand this correctly, that the women cannot use the phrase Final Four? Is that actually true? 
Yeah, so March Madness, what? Uh, what, one thing that CBS and Turner got when, in their last deal from the NCAA in 2016 is they got March Madness Live, they got NCAA.com. I mean, if you look at the things that, that the NCAA gave them for the, its $8.8 billion, $8. billion over 19 years, uh, they granted them lots of rights. We don't exactly know what all those rights are because the NCAA keeps those con- contracts very, very confidential. We should know what's in them because they affect 1,200 universities and 175,000 kids. Congress damn well should know what's in those contracts. They ought to get them and take a look at them. Uh, but some of the rights that they granted included things like that. Um, the, the NCAA retains a lot of its trademarks, um, so it's unclear exactly what the women could use or could not use. But I guarantee you they can't use March, March Madness Live. Um, they don't have a live app. There's no – if you, you could stream the men's tournament basketball games, right? You could watch any first-round game on your device. You can't do that with the women. And part of it is the, the inequity of the deal. Uh, some of this is built into the the enormous an amount of agreement that they included in the contract for men's basketball. So I stated a position the other day when I was just sort of talking about this in general, in which I think that if you play for a national team, a United States national team, whatever the sport is, that men and women should be treated equally. Now, I'm not saying that soccer and badminton should be treated equally. I'm saying men and women should be treated equally because I understand that certain sports bring in more money than others. I think if you, similarly in college, if you play for a college team, men and women on their college team should be treated equally. The food should be the same, the travel should be the same, the accommodation should be the same, all of that should be the same. I do not say this for the pros because that's a different marketplace and you negotiate your own deal in the pros. I'm, I would never say the people in the WNBA should be paid what the people in the NBA should be paid. You know, and I also would never say that, you know, th- that if women's tennis is a larger draw than men's tennis, that people should have to be paid equally. Now, I, I, cause I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. Are you okay with that? Or do you want to scold me for any part of that? No, I don't want to. I don't want to scold you for any part of that for the simple reason that the NBA and the WNBA aren't tax exempt nonprofits um, immune from any kind of Freedom of Information Act, immune from Title IX action. The NCAA is defined as an educational nonprofit that is by nature supposed to break even and is by nature supposed to treat uh, its male and female students equally under Title IX. It's not a private enterprise. It's been operating like a pro- private enterprise. It operates like a, like a damn strip mining cartel. You know, and for some reason, Congress and the courts up to this point really let them get away with it. Those days are over. So, well, let, let me get to what I think. I, I love the Gino Oriema one and done story, but I don't think it's as important as the Supreme Court story. The Supreme Court is hearing arguments now, which would, if, if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the athletes, allow them to you know, trade on their own names and their own likenesses, which they haven't been allowed to do before. And to me, it seems to me this would be an enormous game changer for women's sports more than men's sports, because again, women's sports do not give you the entry-level money that men's sports do. Are you with me on this? And, and what are your thoughts on the Supreme Court and the effect on college sports? I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the, on the marketplace issues. The, all, all of these cases including the one before the Supreme Court, are purely about one thing, and that is if the NCAA is going to operate like a market, then it has to let the kids operate in the marketplace. And that's what the Alston case is. That's what the Supreme Court 
was asking questions about this week. Look, the athletes have already won. The athletes have won the rulings in the courts. That what's before the Supreme Court is just whether uh, universities can artificially cap the value of a scholarship. Uh, the kids are arguing, hey, you know, if, if I should be able to let Alabama offer me more uh, in the value of a scholarship versus Auburn, uh, oh, they, should be okay. able to give me, they should be able to give me free computer equipment. There should be no artificial caps on what a school can give me because these schools are competing for my services. They will then put me in a system in which I'm driving huge revenues for my services. They cannot treat me like, you know, free labor and artificially inhibit mm. Uh, what they give me. So that's, that's part of what's going on before the Supreme Court. The courts have already ruled that the NCAA, uh, since time out of mind, has been uh, illegally, artificially hijacking the names, images, and likenesses of these kids. They were putting, I mean, the O'Bannon case, the Ed O'Bannon case, is, is about a very simple issue. The NCAA That's Bill Isaacson not, brought that case. Yeah, yeah. Our Bill own Bill Isaacson. Isaacson. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, uh, one, one of the great, it's going to go down in history as one of the most important uh, cases uh, in the history of American commerce. What the NCAA did was they were selling the images and likenesses of Ed O'Bannon and other kids to electronic arts to be used in video games, and they were pocketing the money while the students and the athletes got not a dime. It's similar to what happens in the tournament. You know, they'll 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 drive eight point eight billion dollars uh, in the women's case, a five hundred million dollar contract on ESPN, and no one will ever see a dime of it. Uh, except for Mark Emmert and a bunch of suits. So could we be headed down the road where high school kids get agents uh, and, and, you know, and negotiate deals individually with colleges for as long as they want to stay there? I mean, that's how it should be, quite honestly, because, look, they, they didn't create this marketplace. The NCAA created the marketplace. When the NCAA decided to do deals like they did with CBS and Turner, they did a deal with the devil. They created a marketplace rather than an educational endeavor. And it's that simple. And once they did that, as one of the more interesting questions that was asked uh, in the Austin, in the Supreme Court case this week was Clarence Thomas said, you've got coaches who are making $5 million a year in this system, uh, and yet you're going to call the players amateurs? They're both engaged in the same pursuit. Where do you get off categorizing one of them as amateurs and the other one not. So you th do you think that it did sound from what I was watching on television that the court was going to rule in favor of the students? It because sounded it's, like. common, it's common sense, Tony. I don't think this is yeah. complicated. I don't think Bill Isaacson would say this is complicated. It's fundamental. You have been robbing uh, college athletes of fundamental rights, fundamental rights, economic rights. They, they are entitled to them, they were born with them, and the NCAA has been artificially hijacking them. Okay, so let me go to one other issue. I don't like one and done. I don't like it philosophically, and I don't like it practically. I think it hurts college basketball. I think if you want to come out and go to the pros when you're four years old, <laughs> yeah, it's fine with me. I think it's restraint of trade. And Wilbon always says, well, it's collectively bargained. I said, it's collectively bargained without the people who are directly affected. It's collectively bargained by people who are already in the league and making money and they want to shut out other people. And so I, I think it should be illegal. So, but that's a fight that I have with Wilbon. But Gino Wariema talked about one and done and that how Paige Beckers should be allowed to come out. I, 
I guess I just don't like the one and done. I think you should be able to go whenever you want to go. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, you can't you can't deny to Paige Beckers what what Zion Williamson has. Right. I mean, I, that that's number one um, in in any marketplace. But number two, uh, again, you know, yes, certain things were bargained away on behalf of the people who then have to go fulfill them. You know, who didn't get to participate. In the, in the negotiation or the agreement. I mean, one of the things that happens is not every single player on the court tonight uh, in the Final Four, male and female, will uh, have bottles of Powerade placed in front of them at the press conferences. You can't take, uh, you can't hold anything in your hand for the length of these tournaments that isn't a Coca-Cola. They will uh, be selling uh, AT&T 5G cell phone plans. I mean, it will go on and on and on. The players didn't participate in any of those negotiations, and yet they will be made pitchmen for those products yeah. relentlessly, right, for a month. They never yeah. agreed to that. They never agreed to that. You know, those are, are the NCAA's, quote, corporate champions. You know who negotiates those deals and takes care of those deals? CBS Turner. The NCAA lets CBS Turner uh, manage all of its sponsorship deals, right? So the... the the, the players have zero to do with the economic side of this. This is uh, a deal with the devil between a handful of guys in the executive suite uh, at the NCAA. And you know what? If you combine the top ten executives at the NCAA, they make a combined $8 million a year. Mark Emmert's, Mark Emmert's compensation, $2.7 million. Do you know how many women's basketball teams that could sustain for a year? That's the budget of Iowa and Caitlin Clark's basketball team at Iowa. So okay. if, if you were... You, UConn yeah. could... You know, that's, that's UConn's operating budget, $8 million, right? Uh, I mean, you know, the Stanford women create $21 million a year in revenue. That's what they drive in revenue, the Stanford women. I hope you're rooting for them. That's your alma mater. I hope well, you're rooting for how, Stanford. How can, you, how can you not? They're brilliant, you know. But <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying, Tony? It's like all this yeah. revenue, cost revenue, who's a burden, who's a liability, who should be one and done, who should come, get to come out. It's all nonsense. This is not uh, – these are artificialities, artificialities created by a handful of executives who think they're the rainmakers, and as our great friend Matt Rennie points out, that's like a bunch of stable hands saying they created Secretariat. <laughs> Let me just ask this. If there was a, a, a kid, you know, a player, sort of in the Draymond Green mold who just said, I'm going to do what I want to do here, and he threw away the Powerade and drank a Gatorade and started talking about Gatorade, what would happen to him? I mean, you'd have like three NCAA people descending on him, wrestling it out of his hands, and that's a very good question. They should try it, quite honestly, because yeah. they, didn't, they didn't agree to these deals. They should wear what they want. They should hold what they want. I mean, this is, this is and the NCAA will just try to justify it by saying, well, those corporate sponsorship deals pay for 90 championships, uh, which is the number of championships that the NCAA right. Um, right. puts on, but you cannot say that and then turn around and spend over a billion dollars fighting your athletes in court over name, image, and likeness uh, cases, which is what the NCAA has done. It has spent so much more money on legal fees fighting these cases than it has on putting on NCAA championships, which should be its only role. It, they, these people should be scorekeepers and trophy hander-outers. That's their so role wonderful to have Sally on. Thank you, Sally. <laughs> You're I'll welcome. talk to you soon.
Sally Jenkins, boys and girls. That was wonderful. Uh, We'll take a break. We're going to come back with news, right? News? That's right. Nigel has put together some news stories, and we will come back with news. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the solo stove ad. Michael, do you want to talk about solo stove? Yeah, would you, would you like me to start? Yes, just talk about solo stove and how much you like it. Well, nothing is better than being the keeper of the flames, particularly as we have this last final burst of winter. And the it's first cold. thing that I noticed as, uh, as I got the solo stove sent to my house was how light it was and how easy it was to transport it because I put it in a car and I brought it down to the South Carolina low country, made the trip down I-95, just like the boys, only one stop. Yeah, but and, and also, but the solo stove didn't have to get out of the car and go to the potty. Well, it does need fuel. Yeah, well, it does need that. Because it, it's pretty efficient in how it burns it. Whether you're camping in the woods or at a backyard get-together, there's nothing like a roaring fire to bring you back to what matters. The things, digital distractions, and the frenzy of everyday life make too easy to forget. Warmth, brilliance, connection. Those fireside moments ground you in what it means to be human. When I was a kid, WPIX, in, uh, which was Channel 11 in New York City, during the Christmas season, used to just have as programming 24 hours a day, the burning of the Yule log. That's all they had. You just looked at this log burning (laughs) and it made everybody who saw it happy, not for hours and hours, but for a while. It made you happy. It's It's impossible not to see a campfire like this and not want and not be drawn to it. I want, when I walk the dog and somebody has one of these things and they're in the backyard and I can see it, I want to go into the backyard with the dog. I want to get rid of some of the people and just, we should sit. It's nice. Solo stove creates story-worthy moments. Fireside fumes not included. Stainless steel construction designed to regulate airflow and burn more efficiently. There's so little smoke, you wonder how there's so much fire. It's easy to light with a few bits of starter. Your fire is blazing in minutes. You can take your solo stove with you on the road, as Michael suggests, or set it up on your rooftop or backyard. And solo stove is so confident in their products, they'll give you a lifetime warranty for every purchase. No one needs a reason to gather around the fire. Solo Stove just took away any reason not to. And now you can get $10 off when you use the promo code TONYK at checkout. And you're going to say, $10? What's $10? It's $10 in your pocket, all right, that you don't have to give to someone else. Just go to Solo Stove, S-O-L-O, stove.com. And remember, you get $10 off when you use the promo code TONYK. So use the code. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is a band from Seattle called The Almost Faithful. This is a song called Staring. You can listen to their two songs at the end of the podcast without my stupid interruptions. Uh, Michael, if people like The Almost Faithful want to send in their live music for us to listen to, how do they do it? Send us your music. It's not live music. It's music recorded. It's live when you record it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And they're alive. Yes, they are. Yes. Uh, Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornothershow.com. You trip me up there. Yeah. Do we have uh, any Johnny Onus? We do. There's a new code. Okay. It's TK Fools in celebration of your prank yesterday. TK TK Fools. Fools. Yeah. Yeah. It'll last the entire month, unlike just one day. We have a great Johnny O email to read at the end of the show. I hope it's It's about your whole shit. Absolutely great. No, it's not. It's great. Um, I should talk about that at some point, but not now. Just look up the picture. Chris Saliza and Gary Braun are joining us. We're going to do the news segment. Nigel is in charge. This could be disastrous. Go ahead, Nigel. 
It often is when I am in charge. Uh, thank you, Mr. Yeah. Tony. Uh, well, you mentioned in the open uh, about Nat, uh, opening day for the Nats being postponed uh, yes. due to COVID. They had three players uh, test positive and a likely fourth player testing positive. So um, they uh, they had to cancel yesterday's match and will not play today out of an abundance of caution. Um, and they, they do not know exactly when they will begin. Hopefully it will be this weekend. So, okay, so I'm, I'm just going to start by saying this. This surprised me a little bit. I mean, we can, we can debate about whether or not we should know the identity of the people with it or not. I think that's less important that, than this concept. I thought they would have to do next man up like they yep. did, like the Denver Broncos had to do with, with no quarterback, like the Marlins had to take people off the streets. I'm a little bit surprised at this accommodation, and I guess I don't quite understand it. And Gary and Chris, what are your thoughts well, about you've it? You've got 162 games. I mean, it's different than an NFL right. game where you've got you've only got 16 bites at the apple. I just thought it it scared me because it's so 2020, and 2020 was such a bad year for the Nats. Uh, was it Soto? Was it the opener last year? Yep, went yeah, Soto yeah. against the Yankees. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same timetable too. By hours the way, before. Gary, like I don't know that we positive, ever got negative, an positive, if, negative. If Soto or had it right. It was yeah. like, well, he tested positive, but then he tested negative seventy-two times, and he said he felt fine. Like it was very weird, even then. Yeah, I thought he actually did not have it, but I right. thought he tested positive, then negative, then positive, and then had to, and then and then got back to back negatives. And we had a false positive in my house a few weeks back, so I know what that's like, and it's it's nerve wracking. But I just I thought Tony, they just have more to chances watch. to make it up. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I had on my Nats jacket on the PTI show yesterday, well, and the Nats. Had, and it was I was the, jacked up to watch. I found <laughs> out at about what three o'clock. And it was De, it's Degrom Scherzer, so it was one of the yeah. more interesting pitching matches. Yes. But to your to your question about the timing as to why why they don't just do next man up, you start to look at how they are still they are still finding active positive results, whether they're yeah. false positives or not. So as long as you're still getting new cases, I think you can't get to that. Plus, you had the built-in day of a scheduled day off today on Friday. Right. And then you have to look at what goes on with the, uh, with the weekend games. I don't think they're going to play until they have the Mets or the, the Braves on Monday. Uh, but now you're, you're trying to do the whole, do we see anyone getting off at DCA? What sort of position players are they bringing in? Is, is it someone in the pitching core? Is it, is, it a, is it an outfielder? We don't want it to be Soto. But Well, what do you well, think about that? Do you, do you think that, that people should be identified? No. Chris, do you, no, I no? Mean, well, here's the thing. I want to know. Uh, yeah, me too. I mean, it's it's like when they they say at my kid's school like uh, a kid has tested positive for covid. I'm like, who is it? Now, I mean, obviously <laughs> you're you, you're not supposed to know that. And that's fine. Right. Like, I'm, I want names. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Who is it? And I want their parents and I want their travel schedule. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like I get that you should not do that even for pro athletes i think um because there is the the privacy i mean there there's there's hipaa regulations i mean i don't know that you can unless they volunteer it i mean well, i'm not if they sure want to. yeah um, yeah. But uh, to me, I, I was just, I, I, it's funny, I didn't have any analytical take on like, well, why aren't they playing? I was just bummed. I mean, yeah. it's like, I, I, for me, getting back to 162 game season, I'm like you, Tone, and, and Michael, too. I watch with the kids, I watch, watch basically part of yeah. 
every game. The game was at 7.15 to Grom Scherzer. They were really excited to watch it. You know, it was before their bedtime. Like, it's just, it, I was just bummed, and I want this, it, it, Michael's right. Like, it felt very 2020. I, I want the story to be about vaccinations rising and baseball being played, not baseball being canceled and variants. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yesterday, at yeah. least for me, it felt like the latter, not the former. Well, a reminder okay. um, isn't it probably isn't a bad thing the way things are going right now. So, if you wanted to, if you wanted to look at the silver lining, it would be maybe that it's a, a valuable reminder that that uh, the virus around. makes the timetable. Yep. We don't make the timetable, yep. right? Yep. Okay. Nigel, yeah, you go around the league, you're still seeing more and more people showing up in the stands. What, yeah, that's what, what, what Tony. So, so Tony, I was watching yesterday. I was watching the Dodgers, yes. the Dodgers and the Rockies, and in the front row there were four people. None of them had a mask. None of them. Well, had they're a eating mask. peanuts. Mm. Well, I, they, they I was watching a game where the ball was hit, a home run was hit to left, and there was like, I, I was taken aback by the number of people. But like, it, it, they yeah. weren't cheek to jowl. It wasn't full, obviously, but there were enough people where I was like, huh. I didn't realize they were, other than the Texas game on, I think it's Monday, I didn't realize they were letting that many people in. What are the chances so, that the Nats are done for, the, for, for positive yeah. tests in this run? No, I mean, what are the chances that in a couple of days there's, oh, no, there's another. I mean, remember how it's went sort of with the, some of the college football teams where, mm-hmm. you know, they sort of go like dominoes. So that, that was my concern is hopefully this thing is contained and, and they're done with Cardinals last summer too, right? Yeah, because worst comes to worst, you're going to have to bring Carter Keyboom up, and he's going to start. <laughs> yeah. oh, God. Okay. What else? What else you got, uh, Mr. Tony? Um, Los Angeles County Sheriff detectives say they have determined what caused Tiger Woods' crash on February 23rd with his SUV, but would not release details. Sheriff Alex Villanueva told the AP uh, a cause has been determined. The investigation has concluded, but he claimed that investigators needed permission from Woods to release the information about the crash. Now, then later last night, they tried to clarify it, saying uh, the release of accident reports is governed by California Vehicle Code Section 20012, which, of course, we're all very familiar with. Uh, when we are able, we intend to release the information learned during the traffic collision investigation involving Tiger Woods. It just makes Tiger look bad. Does, and there's no it? other spin on it other than Tiger looks bad and was doing something wrong. Don't tease people like this. Uh, that's my feeling. Don't well, come out someone, and say we know, but we won't tell. Right? As someone who gained my legal and uh, police experience in California watching chips, I feel as though this is thing. Well, so I don't know because I don't want to be inconsistent. I just said you're not supposed to. It's I'm fine with the, them not saying who the players are, but like the person who was involved in a one car accident that deployed a lot of police resources gets to choose whether it is I mean is that can that be correct gets to choose whether it's released like I, I don't know if I don't know if that's that the you case have control over that like that's what they my position my position would be though I find fault here with the police for saying we know but we're not gonna say don't yeah. do that yeah there's no point just, in doing that what do you think Gary there's no uh, point so I, I, I don't want to sound like too much of a conspiracy theorist, but I've read, and I think, Michael, I may have a few weeks ago, I thought I had forwarded you this, this piece I read, I meant to, but um, where they interviewed a lot, of, uh, a lot of former crash investigators and people with expertise who, um, based on, on what was public knowledge of that 
accident scene, um, there was a lot of speculation about the 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 department's handling of the investigation and the suggestion was uh that they may have really botched it and there were reasons uh there there were ample reasons in in the minds of the experts to have taken a blood draw from tiger woods uh which they never did um which obviously the implications being perhaps there was uh you know there there were things about the way the car crashed that suggested to experts some degree of impairment. Um, and I, I think there's, I don't know, like, like I started the sentence by saying, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I, I think there's but, a little bit of CYA going on with the LAPD, perhaps, and they just want to make sure they don't cause any more problems for themselves. I think we should get punch, right, Chris? Punch. Yeah, George, remember the chips? Nice pull, Maybe a little Judge Wapner thrown yeah. in there. Punch. <laughs> okay. What else? Uh, well, Tiger Woods obviously not going to be competing at the Masters, which is next week. Uh, Dustin Johnson has released the menu for the <laughs> Masters Champions Dinner. Uh, appetizers include pigs in a blanket and lobster and corn fritters. First course, house salad or Caesar salad. Family-style sides include mashed potatoes and spring vegetables. Uh, main fine. course, filet mignon, miso-marinated sea bass and dessert, peach cobbler, and apple pie with vanilla ice cream. No haggis on there, unfortunately. Sounds delicious to me. You yeah. can't knock it. Michael, your theory is that Dustin Johnson didn't do that menu. Well, I think he I think he had one key contribution, and that would be pigs in a blanket. <laughs> in a blanket. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, no, the, the best part about this is right before the 2020 Masters in November, he's in a press conference. They're like, so, do you like the food here? He's like, yeah, I like the sandwiches. They're like, oh, which one's your favorite? Uh, is, could it be the pimento cheese, the barbecue sandwich? He goes, all of them. Yeah. So for the last three months, everyone's like, is he just going to have sandwiches for your dinner? <laughs> That's a very Sarah Palin answer. Yeah. Remember, well, I read magazines. Which one? All, yeah. all of them. Okay. I, what can else? I ask a pigs in a blanket question? Sure. Why, do they, why are they limited to only being appetizers? Like if somebody served me like 30 pigs in a blanket as it's a main dogs, course. Yeah. You'd be I happy. All of the, yes, right. with like an assortment of uh, artisanal, this is for Michael, artisanal mustards. I would, I would eat that in a second. They're yeah, if a hot dog now, now you're entering the bagel dog territory. Exactly. Yeah. I, I would eat a bagel dog. Pretzel I'd eat a dog. Corn dog. I think if you see it on a menu, you can just call somebody over and say, I don't want it just as an appetizer. Yeah, double I want portion. it as the main course. Do you yeah. think DJ's going to ask for the kids' menu? Can I just get the double serving of the uh, pigs in a blanket? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. With the uh, dipping sauce? Do you have any, uh, what else? Tenders and fries? <laughs> <laughs> That's for uh, the to, kids. To, to college basketball, Mr. Tony, Roy Williams leaving North Carolina after 18 seasons and three national titles. He also coached at Kansas for 15 years, taking it to four Final Four appearances. Uh, uh, in, in his explanation, he said, everybody wants to know the reason. The reason is very simple. Every time somebody asked me how long I was going to go, I'd always say, as long as my health allows me to do it. But deep down inside, I knew the only thing that would speed that up is if I did not feel I was any longer the right man for the job, and I no longer feel that I am the right man for the job. So he I was a little down. surprised because yeah. in, in, you know, he's younger than I am, and in that league, there's Krzyzewski and Beheim, you know, who are older than him. So I was, I was a little bit surprised. His, uh, you know, his credentials are totally impeccable. He's got three, three national championships. There's only three people ever who have more than three. There's John Wooden, Mike Krzyzewski, and Adolf Rupp. And he's on the line with Bobby Knight and Jim Calhoun. He's a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame guy. I mean, that's, I don't know what else 
to say and about him. It, I was did th- it at two. I mean, it, it is worth noting. Did it at two different giant basketball yeah. schools. I mean, yeah. he, you know, obviously yeah. he went home to to UNC, but um, I, I the timing I thought was weird only in that because it's April Fool's Day yesterday. I'm like yeah, right. constantly on <laughs> guard. On. Right, right. And when right. I saw it, I was like, I mean, it's like a weird. April Fool's joke to play. You know what I mean? Like, oh, oh Roy Williams kidding. is retiring. No, he's I'm not going not. anywhere, dadgummit. Right. It, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's a weird joke to play, but I was just, <laughs> so for like an hour and a half after I saw it, I was like, is that right? Well, it's uh, a, he's, he's a, a great a coach. Job. Yeah, it doesn't mm. hurt North Carolina at all because the North no. Carolina job is just great no matter more. what. They'll yeah. probably go inside. They always go inside somebody with Carolina roots on some level. And they're and they're going to be fine. I was a little bit surprised. Also, I will also say this: they have a graduate who's a wonderful clothes designer uh, named Alexander Julian. And I thought Roy Williams dressed great. Did you think so, yes, Chris? Didn't you think he did great dresser? Really, not nice. as not as good as Jay Wright necessarily, oh, but right yeah. right but, next. Great but knots also, in the Jay tie. Jay Wright is like a yeah. taller, younger yeah. guy. I mean, it's harder. Yeah. Like Jay Wright is dapper. Roy Williams is classy. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd say, and Nate Oates did this too. I know I'm, no one cares about fashion in college basketball, but Nate Oates, former of Buffalo, now of Alabama. Like there definitely is a trend toward men, male coaches now dressing a little bit better. And, and, like, classier and more up-to-date on the sidelines. The obvious example, counter-example is Bob Huggins, who yeah, took well, the pandemic. Like, he literally – you see what Huggy Bear wears on the sidelines? I mean, it's literally, like, an ill-fitting tracksuit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a muumuu. He wears a muumuu. incredible. Juwan's yeah. pretty casual, too, so I don't, I don't know that everyone is going nice clothes. I mean, some guys still go athletic. That is true. Juwan, yeah. Juwan it did – I mean, but, but at least it's, like, stuff that fits. You know, I mean, yes, it's yeah. like athletic wear, but it's stuff that fits. I mean, I just feel like Huggins is. Yeah, no, like, Huggy Huggins, Bear looks like on the way out, his wife was like, hold on, honey, grab a shirt. And he goes, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> my bad. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like gold, on. gold chains everywhere. I like, I like Roy. I like yeah. Roy. I think he's, he's a nice fellow. Uh, I, I like the him. One thing I'd say, Tone, isn't it weird? I mean, do you remember? This was a couple years ago, and it kind of went away. You mentioned his health, and I was thinking of it. Do you remember when, like, he'd be on the sideline? And he'd be kneeling over, and he'd like grab his head. That's and, like, right. He, he, Hubert, like, he, he, he faint or something. Grab him. Like, yeah. how, how is that okay? He'd be like, he's like, I sometimes just get faint. It's like, dude, what? Yeah, I do remember yeah. that. And everybody was concerned. And then he got cleared by every doctor who looked at him all yeah, the time. It, it's so. just very odd, just because he mentioned yeah. health. But I, I guess that's not what it yeah. is. What else? By the way, I was on uh, in some chat rooms last night, finding out where he will go, what he will do next, and there are some heavy rumors that he might be going up, up north to Binghamton to take over that program. So, oh, yeah. could you imagine? Yeah, talk about a peach of a job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's Binghamton. it's available. Yeah, uh, nobody way, has uh, ever said "dad gummit" in Binghamton. <laughs> nobody. Isn't it, nobody isn't it pronounced Binghampton? Am I saying that wrong? We're the lost um, Hampton. We're the fourth Hampton. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, congrats to uh, Luca Garza, Murray's own, getting the AP Player of the Year award yesterday. So congrats to Mr. Garza. He's a great, great college player. I don't know if he's an NBA player. I don't know. I hope so. But Googs, I'm not sure. maybe, Tone? Two threes. Little Googs. 
Oh no, he's he doesn't put it on the. He's, goo, no, 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 I don't no, no. Tom Gugliotta was a very athletic. No, he's not. He's a he's a big man who can go outside. It's sort of like More a of European a big man. So right. maybe he can be like Jokic, but I I think I think he's going to have to get a little bit quicker, and I hope he does. With this I, latest I like award, I'd just like to take credit for the way that we went over Chapter One of Great Expectations <laughs> yeah. and just really looked at the internal <laughs> questioning of Pip. Yeah. What what grade, Michael? <laughs> the ninth grade English. How okay. tall was he in ninth grade? Same height. Couldn't he oh could not gosh. fit into his desk. Wow. And the nicest kid ever. Oh yeah. He he was that big in ninth grade? Yeah. Wow. So like six eleven. Wow. That's huge. Wow. Maybe maybe not full but at least six eight upwards. Wow. Oof. Okay. What else? Uh now this story was sent to me by, by our very own Chris Saliza yesterday. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> yes. again, just like him. It was the date, and you look at this, and you're like, well, this can't be a real story. But this does appear to be a real story from New Mexico. A bloke had just finished shopping at the local Albertson supermarket. It's just a 10-minute stop while he was in there. When he returned, he got into his car, and he started to drive away. It was at that point that he turned around and noticed a massive swarm of bees had <laughs> taken over the back seat. When I say a massive swarm, estimates of up to 15,000 honeybees. <laughs> Wow. Go, Who counts go, them? Whose job is that to count the bees? <laughs> I think 14, it's 14,099. <laughs> yeah. I start over. So he had to call 911 because he was not a celebrity, so he couldn't call 912. Uh, <laughs> turns out uh, there was a Mr. Johnson who was a 10-year member of the fire department, uh, and he's also uh, an amateur beekeeper. So he says... Uh, I'll do anything to keep people from killing the bees. So uh, he brought in his beekeeper's hat and a beehive um, and and went in. And as everybody stood a great distance away, uh, he got the bees out. As he said, um, I guess he put something called lemongrass oil into the beehive uh, because that really mimics the scent of the queen. Uh, and he said, well, this is one of the largest swarms that is relocated. He said he could have completed the task in just five to ten minutes, but he didn't want to rush it. So he said he spent 20 to 30 minutes of the scene. Uh, he put the bees in an empty hive box and loaded into his truck for the ride home. Uh, he said, can, the, can I the ask the obvious question? Yes. And the obvious question. Why did they select this particular mm -hmm. place to congregate? Why? Well, have, you, have you seen well, pictures of the vehicle? It, it no, is, it, no. It's a, uh, th this is a your Tesla. father's Buick. It's a very old yeah. Buick, uh, thoroughly uh, bird poop encrusted, uh, uh -huh. multicolor. No, this thing is maybe a 1990s Buick. So I just think maybe they thought it was, they thought it was not in use. Is my well, guess. They thought, here's a nice car. Was it a LeSabre? That's the height of luxury. <laughs> I had a Buick LeSabre <laughs> in the 90s. Yeah. The gentleman who was driving. I think it's that car. He did not want his name to be released, uh, and he said it was not his car. He had bought it. What's his name? Tiger Woods. Oh, he stole the car. Did he steal the car? No, it's not his. It's a car. Yeah. So, yeah, just borrowed it from a friend. Now they say you say why did it go in there? Well, according to Mr. Johnson, the beekeeper, he said uh, the bees might have come from a parapet, a gutter system, a home, and a nearby neighborhood. And the open window presented an inviting place for the bees to take shelter until, until they could find a more permanent home. So basically, like bee squatters. Um, but wait, wait, but it's a it's a parking lot, right? There yes. must have been a lot of cars with open windows. Why? You know, that's what I'm getting yeah, at. Why a, this picture is daunting. Like, y y you think you know how many 50,000 bees looks like, but you don't. 
Although they said it was only three and a half pounds of bees. So when you yeah. think oh, of it that well, way, it doesn't fine. sound yeah. like that man. Yeah. I, know that much. I mean, anything I, under five pounds of bees is not really a big deal. But, but the takeaway <laughs> from this article is to keep that lemon verbena oil away from Meghan Markle, right? Yes. If that smells like the queen. <laughs> right. There you go. Uh, by the way, by the way, he said there were no major... No major injuries uh, resulted from this encounter, although Mr. Johnson said one guy got stung on the lip and we made fun of him the next morning. So that's <laughs> nice. All right. All right. That was good. This is good news. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, Thanks. Thank we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tom. Chris, Gary, thank you. Thank you. All right. We will take a break. We will come back with um, the email and the jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. All right, so what are we doing here? Are we doing the policy genius ad? Yes. Right? Yes. Policy genius. April means not a lot of, a lot of not so fun things, getting fooled, getting rained on, getting your taxes done. So if you need a positive experience to balance it all out, considering, consider shopping for home and auto insurance with policy genius. Policy genius can help you find home and auto coverage similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. In fact, they've saved customers as much as $1,055 per year, okay? It's, it's such an exact number that it has to be real, as far as I'm concerned. Head to policygenius.com, answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property, and Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll compare rates from all of America's top insurers, from Progressive to Allstate. They'll find you the lowest quote possible. They'll look into all the ways to maximize your savings. If they're able to give you a lower rate than you have now, they will do it for free. They'll do it, okay? And it's free for you. Policy Genius can promise that you won't leave their website feeling like a fool. They've saved customers up to $1,055 per year compared to their current home and auto policies. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. This is the Michelob Ultra read. In sports, if you think joy only happens after you win, think again. Look at the world's most successful athletes. They don't spend all their days grinding away. They take the time to enjoy themselves, like having a Michelob Ultra with friends, because they know that happiness is the key to winning and that joy is the whole game, not just the end game. In my life as a sports writer and somebody on television, I can think of two teams that exemplified this m more than others. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression because to be a professional athlete means you have to work very, very hard at it. You're in an extraordinarily narrow slice of accomplishment when you reach the pros. But having fun is important as well. I would give you two. I would give you the 2019 Nats, who every time they hit a home run, danced in the dugout. And when they danced in the dugout, the camera stayed on them. And it made all of us who rooted for the team very happy. And there was a sidebar to that. If Adam Eaton or Howie Kendrick were involved in a play that resulted in a run, they sat next to each other on the bench and they did a power shift as if they were driving a car. And that too gave them great joy and gave us as viewers great joy. The obvious other example is the 85 Bears, maybe the greatest single season team in the NFL when they put together the Super Bowl shuffle and everyone went, oh my God, you can't do that. That's going to jinx you. You got to keep your nose to the grindstone. But no, they were the best team ever. They went through the playoffs something like 91 to 10. And even Wilbon knows how good they were, and I don't get angry when he says it. So that is the great joy that you can take from sports. Michelob Ultra, 95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. 
Well, Tom's been thinking lately, though the word thinking's a generous one. I believe that this thought could be just about the dumbest of the dumb. See, he's been pondering lately about the smarts of the sons of his son. And he believes it could be that Chessie is smarter than either one. Look out, I, I do, Tone's I do. back, trying science, an expert on dog brains. Yup, dog brains top his grandsons. Liz will never speak to him again. Yup, Tone's <laughs> gone deep on this theory, thinking the language gap can be overcome. And he believes that Jesse should speak English. What a rum dum oh, dog Not a rum brains. dum. What will come next? What topic is dumber than dog brains? What are we doing out here? We're talking dog brains. John Fitzpatrick, it's a brilliant song. It's the Cat Stevens song, Peace Train, made into dog brains. I love it. Thank you, John. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Nigel, do you have the bagel ad? Bethesda yes, bagels? Uh, yes, Bethesda bagels. We love them. You will as well. We got the bagels today. Sometimes we get the bagel sandwiches. We love both. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. All right, that'll just about do it for us today. But before we get to the mailbag, let me say how excited I am for this new Johnny Fontaine movie. I think it's a Jack Waltz production. Anyway, it's going to make Johnny a big star. Let me just have one word to say, and that is Consume. <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Sally Jenkins, Chris Saliza, Gary Braun. Thanks to our sponsors, Policy Genius, Solo Stove. Um, po- uh, what else did we have? We had That's another it. one. That's Extra. it? Yeah. Nickelodeon Ultra Pure Gold. And remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio.com. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. I thought we—I thought it was a new thing and not Radio.com. Odyssey. Oh, it's Odyssey. Did I? I, I have messed up all over the place. Yes. Well, you're it's just Odyssey. terrible. You had a terrible day. Ooh, yeah, it was a good terrible. Day. Awful. All right. Here's some email. This is the one I wanted to get to. This is from Gabe Huddleston from Fort Worth, Texas, who's formerly of Franklin, Indiana. Last week, I received an email and a postcard alerting me that Johnny O was opening a new store here in Fort Worth with a fancy grand opening party. Both said the event would include discounts, food, drinks, and a chance to meet Johnny O founder John O'Donnell. Naturally, my first thought was, what a great chance to test the connective tissue of the Tony Kornheiser show. The event had a great showing, and the store is in a great part of town. After circling awkwardly for a few minutes, I finally walked up to John and even more awkwardly exchanged elbow bumps, asking, when are you going to go back on Tony's show? John replied, Kornheiser? Oh, he's great, especially Michael. I need to go on again. I was relatively nervous, so I'm not sure what I said other than I love the discounts offered through the show and was glad there was now a store in Fort Worth. I'm sure I said some other stupid stuff, but John was great. We talked about our Midwestern roots, and I wished him luck with his new store. Thanks for providing the opening I needed to make a fool of myself in front of him. If you do have John on the show again, please let him know I'm not just some rum-dum. Again, that's your goal in life is to not be a rum-dum. I mean, I went to Denison for undergraduate work. Just like Nigel, who can't get the commercials right. Uh, Elizabeth Gardner, Austin, Texas. Tony should enjoy this story. From ABC News, baby born March 21st at 3.21 p.m. in 321 area code. So that's good. So that's all the right numbers, right? Yeah. 321 in the 321. Yeah. Pat Patton in Hedgeville, West Virginia. My bracket, Saliza Eats Canned Ham, is in the toilet. With Georgetown's loss, please help me understand how this is not Saliza's fault. Rocky Rakovic from Jersey City, back at it again with the best little bracket names curated from your ESPN pool. Loyola's sister, Jeannie McManus, one working boat shoe, 
Hoff Wofford Bald State University. Send me a box and one of that. Bayheimian Rhapsody from Bayheim. Fewer fires than 2020. Where on my body is the connective tissue? My sister doesn't go to Michigan. Oral Roberts, no Uranus. Gonzaga choking bulldogs, bracket number one of 20. Liberty Bibbity University. Drake, not that Drake. Rehoboth Beach Water Department Fund, Mayo Grilled Cheesery, please wear a COVID masky, and I have a Shiano. It's just brilliant. COVID masky. Rocky is great when he does this. From Don Ames in Kingston in Ontario, Canada. Every year around this time, my favorite part of the pod is when you read off some of the best Littles NCAA bracket names. Here are a few of my favorites from this year's group. Meet the Full Court Press. Rieger, I just met her. Wear white on a Peloton, Isaac Okoro Curry cabinet. And my favorite to date, Buster Olney's cow. Buster Olney's cow. Um, from George Mernick. Hi, first time, long time. I can report that after weeks on the lamb, the fugitive cow in Johnston, Rhode Island has been captured. Turns out cows aren't smarter than dogs, dolphins, pigs, your grandchildren, or need I say it, Reginald. And his capture firmly reestablishes our position at the top of the food chain. Big brains, opposable thumbs, and the ability to assemble a team of self-proclaimed experts or preening schmoes, if you prefer, and eventually outwit a cow. There's hope for humankind after all. From Scott Bosler, I grew up on a dairy farm. I heard you say cows are stupid. Well, I can say for sure that they are not. We had an old school dairy operation. Once our cows were put into their stanchions, told to the cows in place by clamping on their necks, they knew exactly where to go once the barn doors were open. They knew what time they were to be milked twice daily, and they came back to the yard outside the barn and waited for the barn doors to open. In they went to their assigned places every time. If it is not already taken, can I be the official farming consultant of the Tony Kornheiser show? I will happily share this honor with Buster Olney. Yes, indeed you can. Uh, Charlie Kernahan in Clemson, South Carolina. Long time, real long time. 25 years, first time. Just wanted you to know the woman I'm related to by marriage recently bought her first Subaru, and being a good husband, I offered to take it out and run it through the car wash Saturday. I opened the front door and a payday wrapper fell out. Worlds colliding, Mr. Tony. What's next? David Aldrich having a Tony Kornheiser moment? Um, from Greg Brown, 52, from the Midwestern city of Toronto. A disturbing trend in my neighborhood warrants your advice. I'm seeing an increase in the a number of households with two Subarus in the driveway. Should I move or offer them cash for their house if they agree to leave with their Subarus within two hours? My looks of disdain don't seem to be working. I'll hang up and listen. And from Paul in Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. As a listener now for the past five years or so, one of the coolest parts of the show is always the independent music that you play, especially Dan Byrne. Love Dan Byrne. It's a great way for artists to get some airtime and reach folks that might otherwise never reach. By now, we've heard countless times that new music should be submitted to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com and that if you are submitting for a friend, you need to get their permission in order for it to be played on the show. And this is why I now found, find myself waiting in eager anticipation for the day to finally come that Nigel's example of what doesn't work actually backfires. <laughs> yes, I'm talking about the day when he receives an email from Peter Asher asking for a song to be played on the podcast by his good friend Paul McCartney, and Nigel can finally triumphantly hit play on yesterday or hold your hand or whatever strikes Peter's fancy. Now that would be connective tissue. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. I hate squirrels.